Lord God, already we've talked about a lot of things and we're excited that you call us not only into ministry together, but to fellowship together as well. And Lord, we ask that uh, in this time, as we open your word, as we look at what it means to recommit to you, and as we sort of unpack and hopefully um, redefine that for some of us, Lord, that Holy Spirit, that you would be our guide, that you would be our teacher, that you would be our instructor as we open your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We want to begin with this idea when it talks about recommitting, that recommitting, and obviously we're in church in the context of studying the Bible, we're talking about recommitting to our walks with the Lord, is about becoming the people of God, becoming the people of God. And so if you look back through scripture, particularly when we look at the Old Testament, you'll see that becoming the people of God, to attach this idea of renewal or recommitment, uh, has a couple of things that, that are um, repeated throughout the Old Testament. One of them is this idea of, of going up to the house of the Lord or coming to the people, gathering as the people of God and fulfilling vows and, and, and renewing commitments and renewing vows. And, and what's attached with that is not this sense of drudgery, but actually joy. Finding joy and going to the, gather as the people of God and recommit to the vows that we have previously made. You see that a lot in the Old Testament. And what's attached to that in terms of the, uh, the practice of God's people in the Old Testament is the idea of sacrifice or offering, and one offering in particular. It's called a multitude of things in the Old Testament, but it's the peace or fellowship or free will or thanks offering. It's an offering that's uniquely attached to this idea of recommitting. So I'm gonna go back to the Old Testament and we're gonna look at the peace offering specifically and three things about it. But I wanna look at one of the first occurrences where we see this happen, where God's people gather to make a, to recommit, renew their commitment to God. And, and they come and they bring fellowship offerings before the Lord in this spirit of joy. Now here's something that's really interesting as we're gonna look at a, a particular narrative this morning. One of the first places, or perhaps the first place that this happens the most clearly, just happens to be, just happens to be Deuteronomy chapter 27. Now, why is that striking? Well, if you've been with us through the fall, we've been studying the book of Deuteronomy, and where we left off before we hit the Advent season is Deuteronomy chapter 26. And where we're beginning next week as we pick up Deuteronomy for the final 26 weeks is Deuteronomy 27. And this topical series we're doing right now, we didn't put this together until just a few weeks ago. In other words, the Holy Spirit is absolutely our teacher because it just so happens that the very narrative where we see this clearly is in the very chapter that we're picking up with in Deuteronomy next week. And so we're actually gonna look at the first part of it today as we talk about this idea of recommitment and renewal. So you can read along with me here. Deuteronomy chapter 27, we'll look at the first seven or so verses. It says this, Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, keep every command I'm giving you today. When you cross the Jordan into the land the Lord your God is giving you, set up large stones and cover them with plaster. Write all the words of this law on the stones after you cross to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord your God, your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed the Jordan, you are to set up these stones on Mount Ebal, as I am commanding you today, and you are to cover them with plaster. Build an altar of stones there to the Lord your God. Do not use any iron tool on them. Use uncut stones to build the altar to the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings to the Lord your God on it. And here's our key verse. And there you were to sacrifice fellowship offerings. Eat and rejoice in the presence of the Lord your God. 
All right, let me see if I can set the stage here. Uh, number one thing that stands out is, you may remember in the fall, we had a, a sermon that was entitled Mandated to Celebrate. This is one of those places where God's people are told to have a party. They're told to celebrate the goodness of God in this recommitment. Now, as we get into Deuteronomy next week, you're gonna see there's plenty of somber uh, moments of reverence and even fear to come. But as God's people gather and as they recommit, God calls them to do a couple things. One, he says, take the law that I've given you, plaster some stones and write the law on the stones. Put them on something that's for all intents and purposes is gonna be permanent. It can be referred to and can be gone back to. It essentially set it up and keep it as a hallmark before you of what word has authority in your life. The second thing, uh, in addition to this uh, pile or stack or arrangement of large stones with God's law written on it, they were also to build an, an altar of uncut stones, which is the practice of, of altars built to God throughout the entire Old Testament period. And there they're to sacrifice burnt offerings at the place, right at the edge of the promised land. And the burnt offering is the sacrifice that atones for their sins. Only after they've submitted themselves to the law of God as their authority and sacrificed burnt offerings to deal with their sin, then they are told, then you can bring your fellowship offerings and eat and rejoice, celebrate. Well, what's going on here in this passage? We need to back up to the book of Leviticus to look at what is the peace or fellowship offering. Really, peace is the better word because it's where the word shalom comes from. It's the idea of wholeness, completeness, restoredness, if you will. And so the three things about the peace offering, and, and you can kind of see thanksgiving in one of them, peace in the other, and fellowship in, in the third. First, in the thanksgiving offering, the, the peace offering was brought willingly. It was brought willingly for a variety of reasons to, that, that the offerer or worshiper wanted to express gratitude to God. And it was ultimately to give thanks for the peace that one had through the sacrificial system, through the burnt offerings that had been had given on their behalf. And so we see uh, a multitude of times in Psalms, Psalm 116, 13, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call in the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. And you'll see in scriptures like this and others also the attached language of bringing offerings and peace offerings specifically. And so this is to be brought willingly. Number two, it's to be offered after the atoning sacrifice. Leviticus chapter three and Leviticus chapter seven, if you're note takers, have the teaching of the law on this specific offering. But listen to what it says in verse five of chapter three. Aaron's sons, that is the priests, will burn the peace offering on the altar along with the burnt offering that is on the burning wood, a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now, you don't get it directly in just the context of that verse, but if you read those chapters, you'll see that the peace offering came subsequent to the burnt offering and oftentimes was actually placed on top of the burnt offering, but it always came after. It was the burnt offering that atoned for the sins of the people and the peace offering was the willing offer of thanksgiving and thanksgiving for peace. Third thing. The peace offering is the only offering in the sacrificial system that is actually shared, that is eaten by the worshiper. In other words, the other offerings, uh, particularly the burnt offering, would be uh, burnt on the altar, portion of it would be burnt on the altar, and then other portions given to the priests and Levites for their share uh, to, to feed them because they didn't have an inheritance. This particular offering only, the peace offering, and probably why it's called the fellowship offering as well, 
the worshiper himself participated in it and would participate in others who were offering peace, thanksgiving, or fellowship offerings. So as we see that in the narrative account now, we get the law in Leviticus 3 and 7, but then as we look at it actually taking place and unfolding in Israel's history, you, you can see a, a little bit more of the punch to it, that God's people come to the edge of the promised land. You remember the story. This is the second generation of those to come out of Egypt. All their parents have died off in the wilderness because of their sin and the rebellion. But this second generation, they're now at the edge of the promised land. They're about to receive the promised inheritance. And God says to do three things. Submit yourself to the authority of my law. And even that, by the way, was done with a sense of joy. As we talked about in the fall, this is a God who actually makes himself known. We know who he is. We know what's expected of him. That is worthy of worship. And so there's to submit to God's law, number one. Number two, they're to build an altar and sacrifice a burnt offering and atone for their sins. And then after doing those two things, the idea in the language is, is here that then it's open for you to bring your fellowship offerings, your thank offerings. And then eat and rejoice. This is a communal uh, gathering of recommitment and there would have been energy and excitement and worship and gratitude that their sins were atoned for, that they had the law of God, that they could know God and know him as his people. And it's a powerful picture. As we talk about recommitment today, I don't know what the connotations for you are, but I know there's sort of this universal idea that recommitment just means I got to hunker down and try harder to stop doing that thing that I'm doing I shouldn't be doing or to do all those things I should be doing that I'm not doing. Temporal things and spiritual things, right? Reading my Bible, exercising, stepping away from some sinful practice or addiction, whatever it is, I've, I've got to work harder and trust and, and make it about myself, so to speak. And the peace offering in the Old Testament, particularly as we see it unfold in this narrative, shows us that the Old Testament saints were no more responsible for their own salvation than we are today. It was the blood of the burnt offering that paid for their sins. And the peace offering was a willing expression of worship and gratitude that they were forgiven. And so, of course, we see a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is offered, as we sang this morning, that his blood applied to my life provides me forgiveness of sin. So as we talk about recommitment this morning, whatever that's gonna mean for you specifically, what we're talking about is an offer of gratitude to God for the forgiveness that we have, for his word that we have. And so that brings us to our big point this morning. The call to recommitment is not a call to try harder. It's a call to surrender. And I would add to surrender joyfully. You see, in committing or recommitting through surrender, we're actually acknowledging that God is the one who does the work. And the gospel, as Paul says, is the power of God unto salvation through, elsewhere he says, transformation. It's God who does the work. And I can offer him myself or whatever it is this year that I want to recommit to as a surrender, knowing that he's working in my life. Now, this only applies to you if you're a believer in Jesus this morning. If you're kind of exploring the whole Jesus thing, you're outside of that promise this morning. But God invites you inside. And we'll get to that in a moment. So there's this transformative thing that happens. You'll note in, in the outline this morning that, that uh, this idea of becoming the people of God, our second point is becoming winged creatures. A little bit of a weird point. And I drew this uh, term from C.S. Lewis, who uses this illustration in his probably most famous book, A Mere Christianity, where he talks about this transformative thing. I want to read this quote to you. This is from Mere Christianity. He says this. 
Mere improvement is not redemption. Though redemption always improves people, even here and now, and will in the end improve them to a degree we cannot yet imagine. God became a man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. And Paul is, of course, using, or Paul, uh, C.S. Lewis is using the term man or men here uh, in the broader sense, uh, mankind or humanity. He goes on, it's not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature, something altogether new, which of course could never have, uh, of, of course, once it has got its wings, it will soar over fences, which could never have been jumped and thus beat the natural horse at its own game. I think it's kind of a little bit humorous that Zach and I just happened to use illustrations of jumping over walls and fences the last couple of weeks. Uh, but David in the Psalms says that with the Lord, I can leap over a wall. So uh, we're, we're in line with scripture. But Lewis here used this, this image metaphorically to talk about the fact that God, when Christ comes into our lives, he makes us new creatures. Now, a little bit of a C.S. Lewis nerd point here. If you're a fan of the Chronicles of Narnia, you know that I think it's about 11 years later after Paul, uh, after C.S. Lewis, <laughs> apparently they're related or something. <laughs> after Lewis writes this in Mere Christianity, he actually occur, uh, includes such an, a, uh, a story of an actual transformation of one of the characters in the Narnia Chronicles. So some of you know the story of Strawberry who becomes Fledge. So now you gotta go back and read the Chronicles of Narnia. But what's involved in becoming winged creatures or new creations in Christ, as Paul will say, we'll look at in a minute. Well, this part, as we talk about becoming the people of God, becoming winged creatures, we want that fantastical imagery because this is, this is God's work in the equation. This is the part that God does. And in the scripture, we see that God's work in transforming us into something entirely new is promised by God the Father, it's accomplished by God the Son, and it's ongoing through the power of the Holy Spirit, that all three persons uh, of the Trinity are involved in the transformative work that God talks about. And so we begin in the Old Testament where God the Father promises, these may be familiar verses to you in Ezekiel chapter 11, God says, I will give them an undivided heart. I will put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Or how about in Jeremiah? Where the prophet says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my teaching within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. The transformative work of God in your life and mine is promised. It's been promised centuries before we were born. Millennium before we were born. But it's accomplished by the cross of Jesus Christ and by faith in what Jesus did for us to provide forgiveness. That burnt offering in the Deuteronomy text pictures the sacrifice of Christ's blood that we, shed about this morning, uh, that we sang about this morning. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone stands on Christ, if anyone knows Christ by faith, or in John's gospel, he uses the language, if anyone has received and believed on Christ, if anyone is in Christ, Paul says, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. It is definitive. It has happened. This is the doctrine of justification. To be justified simply means that because of Jesus' death and the shedding of his blood on the cross, that I am right with God. I have peace with my creator because of what Jesus has done. It has happened. I am a new person in him. Ah, but it's also ongoing. 
You know, in, in the doctrine of salvation, or what we call soteriology, there's the idea that we have been saved, are being saved, and will be saved. This is kind of what we're dealing with here. And so as we come to Paul's letter to the Colossians in the New Testament, Paul exhorts the Colossians from the, from the standpoint of who they are in Christ to be doing things that are not like who they were before Christ. He uses uh, life and death language. He uses doing language that's wrapped in who they are, doing wrapped in being. Listen to how he begins. He says, so if you have been raised with Christ, in other words, if you are his, if you are, as we just read in, in 2 Corinthians, if you are in him, if you stand in him, if you have trusted in him, if you are his, then seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Over and over, Paul is drawing attention to the things that we have in Christ already and exhorting us toward things that we should be doing or not doing. The next word, therefore, in light of who you are in Christ, in light of what we have in Christ, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming on the disobedient. Note that Paul is not mincing words when it comes to sinful behavior, even though he's saying that you have new life in Christ. He's real and authentic about sin. But look at the next phrase. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now, but now, put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Why, Paul? Since you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, and you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. The work of God in making us winged creatures, making us new, is promised in the Old Testament, accomplished in the cross, and ongoing through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But how do we do this practically? Let's talk about real life. Let's, let's uh, look at some practical ways and tools of doing this. And I believe it happens, you know, we're in a new year series. We're, we're talking about, you know, starting a new year fresh, making some commitments or recommitments. Uh, and I think that as we, as we think about that yearly, we need to acknowledge that happens by making some decisions, but it really is about surrender. And it starts with daily surrender. So I've included some really practical tools because as we talk about becoming through surrender, now we're talking about our work. That is our cooperation with what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. Uh, you'll note in your bulletin that there's an insert. You can pull that out. We're gonna look at that together. Uh, it's a double-sided insert. And the first side has a daily surrender and the other side has what we'll call a rule of life. Now, if you don't have one, you can look on with somebody near you. Uh, if you're online it'll, and you're watching on our website, you'll get a, a link. We've got it, uh, it's available digitally on our website, uh, so on and so forth. So you, you, can, you can get that. But I'll, I'll kind of walk through that verbally first. So let's talk really practically. If recommitting is not about trying harder, but it's about surrender, joyful surrender, what does a daily surrender look like? Well, it begins with a time alone with God or what some of you might call a quiet time or, or daily devotions. It's a time where you come into each day and you surrender to the authority of God, God's word in your life and the work of his spirit. 
And so what's before you, what we're giving you this morning is just a suggested template. Maybe you have a really fantastic rhythm and routine for your time alone with the Lord, and that's great. Maybe you have no idea where to start. This just gives you some ideas. You can modify this. This is not, uh, it's just, just to help, just to facilitate. So the first thing is the acronym, acronym SO. That is that we would sow the word of God into our hearts and lives. And you'll note that there's three suggested ways to approach reading the word of God for 15 minutes each day. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. So, sow the word of God into our lives. For a second 15 minutes, this is a 30 minute exercise. You'll note that there's a prayer activity, what's known as the Acts prayer. This is not new. The Acts prayer has been around for at least decades. I learned this prayer acronym when I was a middle schooler. I taught it through my youth ministry years. I think every preacher who's preached routinely from this platform has talked about the Acts prayer at one time or another. But what's, what stands out about this model, this template for prayer, is that it doesn't start with me, it starts with God. The A stands for adoration, worship, that I begin with his nature and who he is and taking time to just praise him for who he is. And then it moves to speaking about uh, human nature, specifically my own, in dealing with confession. And not just confession of sin, but also confession of who I am in Christ. Some of what we've talked about this morning. Then we move to thanksgiving. Gratitude to God for the things he's done in our lives. And finally, we end with supplication. Or as I used to say to my students, asking God for stuff. And if I'm honest, there are many times where my prayer is entirely supplication. And so this helps me start with him. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. That's just an example, a template, a suggestion, a tool to help you with daily surrender. Submitted to the word of God, submitted to the work of the spirit of God through prayer. Second thing I wanna uh, suggest to you, and it's on the flip side of that insert, is what we call a rule of life. A rule of life, this really comes from Pete Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Leader, uh, is just a way of, and it's a great thing to do with a new year or start of a new quarter, uh, a way of looking at your life and, and putting together a framework. Uh, Scazzaro in his book calls it a trellis on which the rest of your life can grow around four pillars regarding prayer, rest, relationships, and work. Now there's some redundancy and some overlap in prayer, but it's worth noting just the same. And so I've included two exercises here that are ancient in origin. These goes back to, go back to the early church fathers. One is called the daily office. And it's times of, of spending set aside time three or four times a day during the prayer with specific focuses or foci. The second is a prayer of examine. It's ending my day uh, with, with these questions of reflection and praying back to God and giving thanks for the day. Note that if you do the daily surrender to God and you, do this for, you make this first pillar of prayer part of your rule of life, you'll actually be beginning your day with prayer, praying throughout your day, and then ending your day with prayer. Powerful how that could change our lives if we were committed to that rhythm. Well, that brings us to the second pillar in a rule of of life, and that is rest. Now, I won't spend a ton of time here because Zach preached an entire excellent sermon on rest. I encourage you to go back a couple weeks. You can listen or watch that. But let me just say this about rest, and I'll speak specifically about the idea of Sabbath rest. I practice the Sabbath rest on Mondays, and I would say I'm probably 75% 
uh, maybe 70%, you have to ask my wife actually, uh, faithful to really honoring that Sabbath. But I just, op- I used two operating questions to approach that day, either the night before or the day of. Just two simple questions. The first one is this. What and what today, where will I find rest? What is something I can do today that's restful? And that doesn't necessarily mean sleeping until noon and just laying around my sweatpants. I'm not necessarily talking about physical rest, but what will I find restful, rejuvenating, recharging? Here's a general rule one uh, cultural commentator um, put forward that's been helpful for me. If you work with your hands throughout the week, if your job and your vocation is working with your hands, you should Sabbath with your mind. But if you work with your mind or in relational type work, you should Sabbath with your hands. And, And so I find things restful like doing something with my hands, building things, doing projects, fixing things, so on and so forth. That might, you might find that true and helpful for you as well. So that's the first question. What will I find restful? And there are things like uh, reading and uh, maybe just taking in a good movie or whatever it might be. I have a friend who, uh, his Sabbath for years, he was a pastor in New London um, for a long time. And on his Sabbath, pretty much every Sabbath, he would go to the movies. And I kind of chuckled and he goes, no, I'm serious. He goes, it's just me. Nobody knows I'm there. And I just shut my mind off and just enjoy a movie. And he did that for years. I'm a little too active for that particular rest practice, but, but it worked for him. So what, what is restful? Second question I ask myself is, what is something where I'll find joy today? Not, not trivial happiness, but joy. It might be uh, you know, a quiet breakfast with my wife. It might be tossing a football with one of my boys uh, or, or some activity with one of my kids. I want to do something, at least one thing that day that just delights my heart. And this is beyond the things that I'm going to do in my quiet time and pursuing the Lord, of course. That could be a variety of things for you. And some of you might have the ability to take an entire day. Maybe it's a third of a day to start, but just begin somewhere. Prayer, rest. Third pillar, relationships. Folks, this one's really important. We need to know our drains and our fills. And we need to prioritize the primary relationships in our lives. What do I mean by that? The drains of the people in our lives that we pour ourselves out. It's not exactly always completely one way or another, but in general, they're the people that when we spend time with them, uh, we're investing in them. We're pouring out to them. The fills are those people in our life. When we spend time with them, they are filling us. They're encouraging us. By the way, some of the most powerful relationships are the ones where you walk away from and and you both feel equally blessed. But the important point is to recognize if I'm spending all of my time with drains, I'm not gonna be effective even for those people I'm uh, I'm spending time with. And if I'm neglecting my primary relationships, then I'm neglecting a bunch of stuff that the scripture tells me to do. And I will tell you, this is the one I struggle with the most. This is the one confessionally that I've blown the most. I have gone home day after day over the years with nothing left mentally and emotionally for my family. And it's something I've had to repent of. But if you are in the service industries, if you're in healthcare, if you're in social work or counseling, if you're in ministry, this is probably the one you struggle with. And the reminder from scripture is that I am no one's savior, nor are you. And if you concentrate on prioritizing your fills and your primary relationships, you're actually better equipped to help those who might be your drains to be more effective, to be a good friend and a good helper and a good worker. Last one is work. Note that it's last. Now, this one is the one I heard over the last couple weeks, people saying things like, hey, these concepts sound great. It's not possible for me. 
right? I've, I've, the responsibility that I have on me, the hours I have to work, the amount of kids I have at home, the load that's on me. And let me say this gently, someone who's lived through the season of raising four small children and who has a ton of responsibility on him, you, you can't just end with that. That's not a good answer. And it may be that you've got to talk to your spouse or your boss or your supervisor. And if you work in a secular context, take this to your supervisor and maybe you change the, the word prayer to faith and you just say, hey, listen, I'm looking at my life as I head into this new year. And when it comes to my faith and rests and relationships and my job, I'm all out of whack. And studies have shown, boss, that if I have these areas balanced, I'll be a more effective and efficient employee for a longer amount of time. You got to help me here. I hope you don't get fired if you do that, by the way. <clears throat> but something's got to give. You will burn out. It's not sustainable if you're just... Now, there are seasons. In fact, you know, right now the staff, we're, we are doing an exercise currently, this month, where we're looking at the entire calendar year individually in our departments, but also for the whole church and the things that we're all involved in and looking at that and saying, where are the six or eight week periods where we're sprinting, so to speak? Where are the three or four week periods where we're walking or jogging? And where are the places where we need to be walking or resting? And we're scheduling that and we're putting that on paper now so that number one, we can be more effective in the ministry here at the church. But number two, we can be supporting and backing each other up and not sprinting for 365 days a year. God did not design us for that. We all need a rule of life. More we could say on that. We've been talking about rest, reflecting, and today, recommitment. I wanna read you two verses after this narrative where God's people come and they, they whitewash these stones and they put the law of God and they build the altar, they sacrifice the burned offering, and they begin to celebrate and bring peace offerings. Two verses later, Moses and the elders say to this to the people, be silent, Israel, and listen. This day you have become the people of God, the Lord your God. This is a curious verse. Now, first of all, I want you to notice the, the pattern. First, he says, be silent, Israel. Stop, rest, and listen. Listen to the Lord, reflect. And then he says, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. And that's curious. They're already the people of God, right? They're the Israelites. They're God's people. No, what he's saying is by submitting themselves in joy and willingness and reverence to God's laws, their authority, and putting those peace offerings on top of the atoning work of the burnt offering, they are this new generation that's recommitting to the Lord really his. For the Christian recommitment, is not about trying harder. It's about surrender. And I hope that that's joyful surrender. My heart this morning is to give you some practical things to think through. And um, I wanna leave you with this. You'll note at the bottom of your bulletin, if you've got it in front of you, that there's the opportunity to, to commit to something in all three of these areas. It may mean when it comes to rest and reflect, you need to go back and watch the last two sermons. It'll take an hour of your life. It'll be worth it. Pick one little thing, one actionable, attainable thing and share it with somebody. This year, when it comes to resting, I'm gonna do this differently. This year, when it comes to reflection, I'm gonna do this differently. And this is what I'm recommitting to this year. Take on something small, but I encourage you to do that. To begin with daily surrender. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that like the burnt offering 
of the Old Testament, the shed blood of an innocent animal that covered the sins of your people Israel, that Jesus, your shed blood for all eternity, Hebrews says, one sacrifice for all time, for all who would trust in you, cleanses us, doesn't just cover, but cleanses us from our sins. And Lord, as we think about really practical things, it comes back to surrendering to that in our lives, that you would continue the transformative work in us. Would you help us to find something this year, Lord, where we can joyfully surrender to you? Lord, that might be a sin issue, but it might just be delighting in you. And would you help us with that this morning, this day, and this year? Pray in Jesus' name, amen.